Thank you for checking out the Ironworks Church Sermon Podcast. We are a family of Christians living throughout the Westchester region that strives to be an open door to all who are interested in the way of Jesus by finding belonging with us and seeing how the reign of God transforms our everyday lives. It is our hope and prayer that this sermon helps you follow Jesus in your everyday lives as you seek to love people in your place well. Thank you for listening. Let's uh, turn our attention to God's Word. Today we're continuing in our fall sermon series. What we're doing this fall is we're walking our way, walking our way through the Gospel of John. And every single time we look at a passage, an encounter, a miracle in John's Gospel, we're asking the question, um, Jesus and blank. It's really a question of how does Jesus speak to things within my heart, in my life. It could be our questions, our joy. Today it's going to be our hurt. And let's also be honest, every single time we approach God's word, sometimes we come to a passage in scripture that is very rich immediately. It's, it's a beloved passage of scripture. And, John, and for my life, John 4 is one of those passages. And so going from John 4, which is a very um, amazing passage, in many ways it preaches itself, and then you come to John 5, it's like sometimes you um, hit a wall. And that's okay. But what the reality is, we need to lean into and we need to explore uh, that passage. And I really had one of those like breakthrough moments this week when I was listening to a sermon. Richie Sessions is, is, was a preacher's name, and he's a campus minister at Vanderbilt. So in some ways, um, the, a lot of the thoughts I have today are really inspired by Richie um, in his sermon. And so if you want to listen to it later on, I'll share the link with you and you'll see some similarities. But this is a passage that speaks to the hurt within our life. And so let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word as we consider what God's word is for our life today and the wounds and the, the hurt within our life. So this is John 5, verses 1 through 18. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and you can follow along on the wall behind me or in your worship guides, or if you have your Bibles as well. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a pool in, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheet Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed col- colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool where the water, when the water is stirred up. And while I am going... Another step, and while I am going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. 
the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was, calling, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Friends, let's, let, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we pray now for your spirit to be working in our hearts, that your word would be working, because it is your word that is alive and active and sharper than any sword. And so, Father, we pray for your spirit to be working your word in our heart this morning. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. This really goes without saying, but this world is a hurting world. Just for just to kind of like prove that point that over the, not even two years, but roughly just over the past year and a half, 4.8 million people have died due to COVID throughout the world. But even thinking more locally within our own nation, over 700,000 people have died. And that's more than a Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. And some of you perhaps have felt that very dearly. Uh, a few weeks ago, I met with a friend, and he had two family members who have died from COVID. But other examples of hurt also abound all around us, even if you are not impacted by this massive death toll. Like, so yesterday, for example, was the color run here in Chester, like over on Everhart Park, the Chester County Color Run. And it's a 5K, and it's seek, it seeks to raise awareness for the opioid um, addiction and battle within this county. And even October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Perhaps even you even knew last week was Mental Illness Awareness Week. Like all of these types of things are meant to highlight the hurt that many go through every single day of their lives. And there's so much hurt, there's so much pain in the world, and it is truly impossible to keep up. And so you turn on the news, you see all the pain, you see all, all the hurt, you see all the bad news that's just coming at you, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed, it's easy to feel angry, and perhaps this is why you may avoid the news altogether. But here we see Jesus doing something different entirely. It's something completely different, something entirely different. Jesus is in Jerusalem during a festival, and we find this in, right away in verse 1. We have no idea what type of festival it was. The reality is that when there was a feast, when there was a festival, Jesus went to Jerusalem and he participated in those feasts and those festivals. But notice where Jesus is. Jesus is not at the temple on the Sabbath day, Worshiping uh, God at this moment, perhaps he was at earlier in the day, but where is Jesus? Jesus goes to this pool in Bethesda, and there was a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. See, Jesus is actually going to the place where the hurt is most present. Jesus is not avoiding our hurt. Jesus is not avoiding the wounds and the pain that we have. Jesus goes directly to to that hurt within Jerusalem. And uh, this is a, one more thing before we dive into the text more deeply. The another thing to highlight is that this is a miracle. 
Miracles are a picture, a sign, a preview, a trailer of God's kingdom and his reign. So that this miracle is revealing something about who Jesus is and what he is seeking to do within the world. So like think about John 2 where he turned water into wine. Jesus restocked the bar. That is a picture of the joy that we have with life in God. And here we see a healing, a miracle of a man who is paralyzed from the waist down and he is able to walk. And so, but contrary to what we've seen before, where people, after Jesus does the miracles, people want to celebrate, people want more miracles, the response to this miracle is that people want to kill him. So as we look at the Gospel of John, something's changing in this passage that we also need to consider. So as we consider this passage, there are, it really seems like there's two separate stories, but they're deeply linked. One is the healing, verses 1 through 7, 1 through 8. And then the, there's another passage on the Sabbath uh, from 8 to 18. These are linked together because often behind our hurt within our lives is a spiritual hustle that's going on. So let's consider this passage first by considering the hurts. It's going to be the hurt, his, his healing and his rest. And, but let's start with the hurt. And so as we begin to consider this man, he is an invalid. He has been a um, paraplegic for 38 years. And perhaps it happened at birth. Perhaps it happened later on when he was older. And, but he is in a condition where he cannot walk. There were no such things as wheelchairs at this time. And he needs to be carried down these steps to go to this pool. And so Dwight Peterson, he was a professor of New Testament at the Eastern University. Um, and he what, himself was a paraplegic. He was confined to a wheelchair and, since, I believe, 1979. And this is how Dwight Peterson describes this man's invalidity this way. Problems of mobility and livelihood and social isolation just begin the list. Consider the problem of personal hygiene. Paraplegics frequently do not have bowel or bladder control. Taking these things together, we can begin to create a portrait of this man's life. People moving him from place to place unless he crawled. Most of his income came from begging or charity of friends or family. And if he did not have control over his own digestive system, then his hygiene problem would have been enormous. People would have stayed away from him, avoiding him. And so as we see this passage, we have no idea why he is paralyzed whatsoever. We have no idea why he is par paralyzed. However, D.A. Carson offers a point of speculation and I, I bring this up because later on, Jesus um, says something quite startling. And he says this in verse uh, 14. See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen uh, to you. And so D.A. Carson, he's the founder of the Gospel Coalition, a professor of New Testament at um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He, he offers a question, a point of speculation, and it arises from this passage because when you look at all these other miracles, like later in John 9, the disciples walk by a blind man, and the disciples ask Jesus, why is this man blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin? And Jesus actually says, neither. Neither. 
But then also you, you look at Job, the book of Job and his friends. And Job's friends are saying that you're going through the misery of the sin. You're going through this type of judgment because you have sins very specifically. And if you know the book of Job, that's not why Job is suffering whatsoever. He is suffering because the devil is bringing this suffering upon him. And so what D.A. Carson is doing here is that he is raising a point of speculation that perhaps this man is injured. He is simply saying, he, uh, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead. Let me just stay here because I jumped three sentences ahead. The point is that Jesus and Job, all these guys are making, is that injuries are part of the misery of sin within this life. We get sick. We get injured. And this is not necessarily a direct consequence of our sin or our parent sin. But in this instance, what D.A. Carson is suggesting, that this man's injury is perhaps directly related to his sin in his past. So like, for example, you are in an accident and you're injured because you were drinking and you're driving. And so Jesus actually comes to this man and says, sin no more lest something worse happen to you. And so Jesus could actually be is very specifically speaking to this man in a way that clearly does not contradict Job or what Jesus himself says in John 9. So that's helping us beginning to put this together more theologically. So as we look at this man, he is injured, he is paralyzed, and it's a really a question of speculation as to why he is paralyzed in the first place. I'm sympathetic to what Carson's making out. His point, the point that he's making, but as we look at this passage as well, he is jaded, he is cynical, even fast-forwarding, that he is not, he does not have a heart that's shaped by gratefulness or contentment, even when he experiences the healing from Jesus. He actually goes to the Pharisees, informs on, he's like, hey, the person who healed me is Jesus, and because of this man who received this healing from Jesus, the Pharisees begin to plot to kill him. He, there's no heart of gratitude in his life. And so this is actually something we need to think about more deeply, because we can relate to this man. We can relate to him, because how do you act when you are hurt? How do you act when your bodies grow frail? And you injure yourself. How do you react when you are in moments of hurt? Like speaking for myself quite personally, I was 28 years old when I herniated my disc. And then my disc hit a nerve and I could not stand up straight. I've learned that the proper term is that I had a lateral shift. And so I would stand like this. And this is how I'd walk around. There were times I could not get up and walk off the couch. I would have to roll off the couch to crawl I even found myself in tears one night because I could not get into bed. And that was the hurt I was going through. But all of that actually also took a relational tone. When my body did not work, you can ask Jennifer how nice or pleasant I was her. Because I wasn't. I would be mean. I would be curt. Would, and even like, as I would have back pain now, I would even be, neglect my boys. The question for us is to consider, not like, yes, we hurt, and how do we respond? But where does that response come from? Why would I be hurt with the one who is caring for, for me and my injury? Well, honestly, it's fear. For myself speaking, it's fear. What if I could never stand up straight again? 
What if I would keep injuring myself this way? What if I cannot run? What if I cannot ride a bike? What if I cannot be able to pick up my boys and play with them as they get older? There's the fear that all comes to the surface when we are hurting. But can you relate? Because the reality is we look at each and every single one of these stories. If we cannot relate to the people in these stories, then we can't have, God cannot work within our lives. And so this man is hurt, he is physically stuck, he is emotionally stuck, and he needs the healing of Jesus. And this is our second point. And so this is a miracle here, that we move from his hurt, we move to Jesus' healing, that this miracle is actually one of the major signs that John's gospel focuses on, that Jesus uses these miracles to reveal who he is. And this is Isaiah 35, 4-6. Behold, your God will come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isn't that beautiful? The lame man shall leap like a deer. And see, Jesus came in order to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to proclaim liberty to the captive. He came to recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That is how Jesus introduced his mission in Luke 4, 18. And so Jesus goes to this pool to demonstrate his work. He comes to this pool where there are blind men, lame people, and paralyzed individuals are. And so since Jesus is God's anointed king, since Jesus is the Messiah who is coming about to bring about God's reign in this world, a sign of his reign is that the lame shall leap like a deer and that the blind man will see. Here's the question that all of us are asking. Why is there still so much sickness and pain and hurt within our lives? And so this is where we need to be honest with how the ways that we approach Jesus. We approach Jesus with an all or nothing approach. That either it is Jesus needs to heal everybody and all things or it's not true whatsoever. It's all or nothing. That Jesus needs to heal all the hurt or none of it is, tr is true. And so this is how Richie Sessions put it. He said that Jesus did not do everything that he is going to do. Think about that. Jesus did not do everything at once that he is going to do. He is going to do enough to prove that he can do everything. That Jesus is going to do enough to prove that he can do everything. And so you think about the role of miracles, how it is a sample, a preview, a picture, a sign, a trailer, a teaser of the real thing. And so when Jesus returns at, at the end of days, when Jesus returns in the second coming, Jesus is going to make all things new. He's not just going to do this, do this to you or to all of us. He's going to do that to the entire cosmos. That everything in the, in the universe is going to be made new. And that is a hope that we have. And that hope is something that we can stake our life on. That hope is something that we can put our trust in because of what Jesus Christ has done. That Jesus did this miracle. That is a picture of what he is going to do when he comes again. And so for us as Christians, when we think about our everyday lives, our everyday lives are actually meant to be defined by both groaning and 
hope, of groaning and hope. This is how Paul put it in Romans 8, 22 through 23. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we groan. We lament. So when we look at the hurt in the world, it's good to take notice of it and to groan about it and say, God, this is not how it's meant to be. It's good to grow. Groan. It's good to grow, yes. It's also good to groan. And be, but we know by faith that his promise, his sure everlasting promise, that a day will come when there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow. That's something we can be hopeful about because it's sure. So Jesus is, is quite honest with us that we will go through periods of hardship. We'll go through trials. We'll go through tribulation. That even, he says, to expect war, to expect rumors of war. And so as we think about this within our own lives, that if you are groaning right now, that groaning is a doorway to the new heavens and the new earth. That groaning is a doorway to redemption. That groaning is the, door, is the path to new life. Even Paul puts it quite clearly about childbirth. And we can ask any one of our expecting mothers what that is going to be like when they hold their newborn after childbirth. There's going to be this groaning that gives way to new birth. And so this is what Jesus is doing in this man's life. He is demonstrating that he is the Messiah. And then also, he just disappears from him. He just disappears. There's a crowd. The man picks up his mat. He walks. And yes, but he disappears. And then our, and our text makes this sudden change. And this goes to his rest. And so our text is making this sudden turn to sudden change, and it really catches us off guard. But this and everything that Jesus is doing and saying is actually showing us that this healing is actually about this thing called the Sabbath. There's a connection between our hurts and his healing and his rest, that we are spiritually paralyzed and we ourselves need healing. And so this comes to like the third point, his rest, and we see this in verse that this is the Sabbath day. Now, just to explain this biblically and contextually, that the Sabbath was, is, and with the entire Old Testament, was given by God to his people as a gift. The Sabbath was specifically a day, a 24-hour period, where God's people rested in his provision. Moses put it this way, for God created the world in six days and then rested, so you shall work six days and then you shall rest. And so as Israel wandered throughout the wilderness for 40 years, they, God would provide for them. He would provide manna every single day. Uh, and so for six days a week, God would provide enough food for them to depend on him for one day. But then on the sixth day, he would provide enough for them to, for two days and they would not work on the Sabbath day to even come out and gather this manna because God is actually trying to teach his people to depend upon him for all things. That is one of the things that the Sabbath is meant to teach us, that God is seeking to teach us how to rest, and that is actually deeply humanizing. This is, not, this is actually something that is overlooked within our hustling and burnout culture that we live in. But think about this. And within the African-American experience in America, 
specifically through the slavery. Um, when we think about Sunday, Sunday was a precious day because it was the one day of the, the work week where they were not forced. African-American slaves were not forced to work in the cotton fields. It was one day where they did not have to live and work under the, the gaze of their masters. And it was a day that emerged to celebrate dignity and beauty. It's a day that we actually, um, and because of all this, there's like these wonderful spirituals that we see. But, but as you think about what that day sh- offered them, it was a day of rest. It was a day to enjoy dignity and beauty and enjoy life together. And so that's just another picture that we see, but it stands with what the Israelites went through. And so the Sabbath is given to a people who are spiritually lame. The Sabbath is given as a gift to people who are spiritually lame. And so Jesus, as you look at this this healing, Jesus is the one who sought this man out. This man did not come to Jesus. Jesus sought him out. And that stands out when you look at all the other healings and miracles that Jesus did because they were the ones who sought him out. And so Jesus actually sought this man out with one of the intentions of clashing with the religious leaders because Jesus is, at the end of the day, the Lord of the Sabbath. That's Mark 2. And so Jesus is offering each and every single one of us rest, and this is going to be a picture in the Sabbath, Jesus is offering us rest from religiosity because Jesus offers us rest from using the law of God to prove or justify ourselves like the Pharisees did. When you see the Pharisees emerge in this passage, it's quite evil. It's quite tragic because here's a man. He has been unable to walk for 38 years And he comes by the Pharisees, and they cannot even rejoice. Did you see that? The Pharisees cannot even rejoice. So instead of pausing and saying, hey, you're healed, instead of celebrating, instead of saying, let's go to the temple together, let's praise God together, they say, hey, you're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath day. It's words of condemnation instead of celebration. They condemn him. And so... They say to him, don't you know that you're not allowed to carry your mat on the Sabbath day? And no, that's, they're literally saying, don't you know what our interpretation of the, these scriptures of the Sabbath are? And the Pharisees, they're known for their zeal. They developed all these extra biblical laws. That, so these laws that are completely organized in addition to, and they really even placed on the same page of scripture. They created these extra biblical laws. And that is completely out of step with God's heart, and it is also completely out of God's heart not to pause and celebrate this healing. And in so many ways, this is a spiritual red flag. That is a spiritual red flag. When God liberates people, when he rescues people, when you can see God's work and grace within a person's life, and you cannot pause to celebrate whatsoever, but you actually turn and condemn, and you say, hey, well, you're not keeping the rules. When you do that, you're actually on the side of those who killed Jesus. And the religious impulse is alive in, in, in every single one of us. And it's even why that churches are known, not necessarily for places of hospitality and community. It's also known, why, it's what, the reason why Christians are known for fighting, where they 
eat their own. So Jesus is offering us rest from this religious impulse, but Jesus is also offering us rest from an irreligious impulse. Because irreligiosity is like religiosity, but different in the sense that we don't use God to push God away. We actually look at ourselves to push God away. That we can go from one self-help concept to another, where we look for one transcendent experience over another, where we look and we search for something, but we always use that search to push Jesus away from us. And, and so Jesus is offering us this rest from this, irre, 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 this type of irreligion. And this runs deep within our hearts, and it de- runs deep within our lives, both the irreligion and religious impulse. And so Jesus asks us, Jesus asks you this question, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? That is his question for us. Do you realize that your spiritual paralysis is more concerning than your physical hurt? That is the overall message of these, this entire passage. That our spiritual paralysis is more concerning than our physical hurt. And see, Jesus' question to this man is, is dignifying. He asks him, do you want to be hurt? He does not assume. He does not take it upon himself. But it's also an invitation to him. But there's a sense of despair in this man's tone. In his reply, he says, no one can pick me up and take me down to the pool. No one can help me. And he cannot even help himself to get to the pool. And so this particular pool most likely had iron-rich minerals that could help and heal and really heal and treat many different things. And he's held on to this superstition that, yes, this, this iron-rich mineral water could heal, can treat, cure eczema. Perhaps it will cure me. And he's held on to this superstition like so many of them, of uh, the other people around him. And so he's even using that type of superstition to keep himself away from the healing that Jesus offers him. And so Jesus, in asking this man, do you want to be healed? He is asking you that same question. It challenges us. What superstitions, what things are we holding on to? What constructs do we build and make for ourselves that we think we can fix ourselves or heal ourselves or cure ourselves? Jesus is actually saying, stop trying to fix your life. Stop trying to be your own healer. Stop trying to justify yourself. You have nothing to prove. Because at the end of the day, Jesus comes to heal each and every single one of us. Jesus came to heal you. Jesus came to set you free. To heal us from the ways where we think that, oh, I have to be awesome. And that Lego movie, everything has to be awesome. That Jesus came to heal us from the ways where we have to always hustle. Where we also always have to crush it to... But Jesus also comes to heal us from our past. He comes to heal us from our trauma. He comes to us us and heals us from thinking we have to prove ourselves. See, within Jesus Christ, you are more loved than you can ever thought possible. Because here's this God who made you, who created you. He had the thought of you before time itself. 
And he knows all the ways you are hurting. He knows all the ways that we have sinned. And he has come so that we would have life. And to experience his healing, just as described, that the lame would leap like the deer. That is something that we can experience in Jesus Christ. And so his invitation of do you want to be healed is also the challenge to us of stop trying to fix ourselves and be our own healer, but rest in him, trust in him, and look to him. Let's pray.